Um, the first part is from Luke 5, 1-10, and it's on page 1032. But you might like to put your finger into page 1180. 1,180, it's Philippians. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets for a catch. Let's down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And now, Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, which is on page 1180. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Great, thank you very much, Anne. I'm just going to grab myself one of these. All right, so good morning, everyone. It's a glorious day, isn't it? Which is nice. And uh, it's also a special day 
and it's my first gift day as still fairly new vicar here at St Paul's. And if you're as new as I am, just to explain, we have a gift day once a year. It's an opportunity uh, for people to give a one-off additional financial offering on top of what they might normally give. And uh, we, we rotate it between an external focus project and an internal focus project. And this year it's internal. And if you came through the welcome area, did you see that fantastic display out there? And you will know that it's chairs that we are focusing on today. Chairs! Isn't that exciting? Chairs! I can just feel your enthusiasm bubbling over. But I do want to actually just acknowledge also there'll be people in different places in, uh, in the room in any church. And some will feel naturally enthusiastic about giving financially in that topic Others will instinctively find it a struggle, perhaps because they're not in a position to do so, or they don't want to for um, a particular reason. Please, can no one feel under any pressure to respond? This is just an opportunity, and uh, if you'd rather not, that's fine. I also want to reassure everyone as well that I'm not preaching the entire sermon on chairs, okay, because that, that would be a bit dull. I did do a bit of research, I did consider it, and I found four mentions of church in the Bible, sorry, of chairs in the Bible, and, uh, but 62 mentions of seats, which was interesting. So there was, there was plenty of material, uh, but I thought actually what I'd present is something a little broader, and also touch on the issue of our expectations here today. What are we expecting God to do in the years to come? And how can we respond? And I hope because of that, that actually we might end up a little bit on the edge of our seats this morning and not sitting that comfortably, if you'll forgive the pun, which you obviously don't. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Because what I'm hoping for is that we will actually be excited today, excited about what God is going to do in us and through us, and excited about all the ways we can get involved, whether financially or through other means. So I'd love to pray for that now, just for that excitement and that sense of anticipation that I think God wants to build in us. So let's pray that now. Father, we offer you ourselves, as well as those who are not here this morning, but are part of our fellowship. Lord, would you excite us? Would you inspire us? Would you raise our expectancy, raise our faith, raise our resources, And Lord, show us how to make the most of what we have to bring glory to you and to fulfill the purposes that you have for every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so on with the sermon. And I want to start by explaining the connection between the passage, the main passage that we heard read, and what I want to say today. And actually, uh, Kate and I, earlier last week, were praying about this. And this was the passage we really felt led to. And I think the connection is this. Jesus had a big crowd gathered around him. And he could have just carried on preaching where he was. But what he felt led to do was to change the physical environment in a small but significant way, which had stunning consequences. And we can see uh, a slide come up here now, just uh, of the initial scene. Jesus sees two small boats. He gets into one of those boats so he can now face the crowd. They can all see him, which I'm sure helped in what he was teaching. But after that, of course, he did something even more remarkable. He instructed those fishermen, including Peter and and James and John and Andrew, I think, who um, had all been fishing all night. And at night was when you went fishing. Everyone knew that. That was the easiest time to catch fish. He instructed them to put out their boats again. And the next picture will just show us what 
happened. So many fish. So many fish. The, the nets were breaking. Everyone was astonished and thrilled. But let's be honest, and we can leave that picture up just as a reminder of what God wants to do through us. The real lesson was not Jesus' fishing expertise. As far as I'm aware, he had none at all. He was a carpenter, obviously, not a fisherman. But actually, it was a lesson about faith. When we listen to Jesus, however unexpected his calling to us might be, he can bring us to that great catch of fish, that harvest, if you forgive me, mixing my metaphors. And faith in Jesus means always being ready to listen and to respond and to step out in faith. And if we do that too, and every other Christian, well, then he can do extraordinary things through us. And that prompting that he might give to us can at times actually include our physical environment, including, for example, changing these chairs. Now, of course, chairs in themselves don't achieve anything extraordinary. And um, there are several things that any church could choose to spend its money on, on the practical side. And here, as anywhere, we had a little list of projects that were all worthy of consideration. But I just need you to know that those of us who were praying into what should be our focus today, in the end, felt very strongly led that actually it should be improving our main worship area here, the most important room in the church that was the way to go, that it was, if anything, a little overdue anyway, and certainly that strategically it could bring really significant benefits to us. Benefits which I would say range from the symbolic to the practical. Now, on a symbolic level, first of all, I think most of you know that uh, one of the key objectives I've been given in coming into this church as vicar is to really try and broaden the appeal of the church, draw in uh, more families, more young adults, more teenagers, um, and really bring through the next generation to to really uh, promise a a really uh, great future for St. Paul's to come. And uh, we've been doing and making some progress with that already, although there's a lot still to be made. For example, through bringing more informality to our services, something that's such an important ingredient in attracting the younger generations. We've done it through changing uh, the time of our main family-focused service, which has gone down very well. 10.30 is a much better time. Through the changes we've made to our children's ministry, especially from the start of this term, which has been well-received. Through the new daytime life group with the creche that we've started, that's gone really well. Through the baptism course that we've started, which went really well, helping those bringing their children to baptism to really explore their faith. We were thrilled with the impact that that had. Through getting some socials together for younger men in the church, we've been doing that as well. And through monthly evening services, which some of you have been to, which provide such a natural home for those in their teenage years, their 20s and 30s. It's just been the beginning, but it's starting to have an impact. But what we also need to do is to make sure that our physical environment here, the place that we're bringing these new people into, doesn't let us down and that doesn't hinder the growth that we're looking to see. Whether it's a welcome area that looks a little cluttered and old-fashioned, whether it's the blue, plastic, ugly chairs that we have in quite a lot of our meeting rooms over there and at the back of church even today, or the chairs that we have through most of the church, which look and are over 30 years old. 
and some of them are literally falling apart. That's why we don't have as many as we used to. We keep having to throw them away as they collapse. They make the church feel tired, if we're honest, a little out of date, and certainly lacking any sort of contemporary feel. That doesn't help us with our mission, actually not to any age group really, but certainly not to the young. But if we're able to buy these new chairs, we'd actually put them right through the church centre and we'd spruce up the welcome area, declutter it, and we'd be able to make every room feel refreshed. And then whenever we've got one of those really busy services like we have with Baptism Sundays once a month, Christingle, Easter, and hopefully perhaps every service as we get more and more popular, we can bring all those chairs back into here. Hopefully they'll have a slightly smaller footprint and we can fit even more in. And it means an end to those showcase services when people come once or twice a year and they end up having to sit on those blue plastic chairs at the back of church. And we'll be able to actually give them a really, really special welcome in terms of what they see around them, as well as the wonderful welcome I'm sure they will receive as we talk to them and encourage them. So it's about creating a 21st century environment, if you like, that communicates that we're a church looking forward and that makes people feel good the moment they walk in. There's plenty of churches that do that and have that, and we can do it too. And I think now is the moment where we can look to do that. So that's the symbolic aspect of what we're proposing and focusing on today. Then there's the practical aspect, which is really about the usability or flexibility of this space. Now, to illustrate that, why don't we just, if, uh, if you feel inclined to, just stand up and try and lift up one of your chairs. I'm going to have a go as well. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well, well done to some of you who managed to do that. But hopefully what you did notice is that it's pretty hard work. They're pretty heavy. Uh, We've actually broken a couple in the course of that, but that's, uh, yeah, a prophetic act here. I think people are destroying their chairs just as as a sign. Okay, so there we go. The chairs are heavy. They don't stack at all. They don't even literally stack one-on-one. So that means, of course, that we can't put them anywhere else because there isn't another room big enough to receive them. And it means if we try and put the church in a different formation, like in the round, which is a lovely thing to do from time to time, it's a huge amount of work. I think Claire went two days without sleep doing that once. (laughs) How can we do this to her? (laughs) So, (laughs) we want flexibility. And actually, I want you just to think about actually what this room could be used for. Because it could genuinely be a multi-use space. Now, in my last couple of churches, I know what we could do with this sanctuary area for things like holiday clubs, for messy church, which we had running at both of them, where you can have all the children on the carpet at the front, you can have games and crafts all over the room, and there's so much space to do that. You can have parties, you can have laser quests in the church, all sorts of things you can do. Don't worry, it doesn't damage anything, and they absolutely loved it, the teenagers at St. Saviour's. It was great. And we can do things like having 200 people at an Alpha Supper party in here, around round tables all over the church. I mentioned this to the other church leaders in Camberley, Uh, that we were thinking of focusing on this today. And they said, if we could get a venue in the town 
that enabled us to have Alpha Suppers for 200. That would be absolutely brilliant. We could do that together. We could have church-wide social events like that. Last year, I helped lead a Passover supper, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, Exactly the sort of thing that I'm talking about. We could do all sorts with this room. And we could even, you know, during the week, we could consider, explore whether mums and toddlers could be in here, potentially, if we can make it safe. Um, And it doesn't need a waiting list. It can then grow. Um, And we can do all sorts of other points as well. The possibilities are pretty endless. And for our external lettings as well, it would bring a lot more flexibility. Like the seminar we're doing in a few weeks' time on prophecy. It means you can just move your chairs around, form little breakout groups, and it's a much, much more flexible space. So, these are some of the things that we could do. We'd effectively be giving ourselves one great big new function room. And let's be honest, the biggest other one that we've got, the garden room, is not really that big at all, is it? So it would really be great, and it would mean we could fit more and more people in at those times in the year when they most want to come. So I hope I've shown that chairs do matter, that they could turn this room into a genuinely multi-purpose space, that there would be many new possibilities that came from it. But I also said I don't want to just talk about chairs. So let me move on then to our next steps more generally. If you're at the APCM, which roughly about 60 or 70 of us were, um, there were a few things I mentioned then that it's worth just restating today. One of them is that all the recent church growth studies shows that differentiation between services is actually a really important way to grow. What do I mean by that? I mean, having different congregations with different styles isn't a threat to unity. It's actually a key to broadening your appeal. So one of the things the PCC will be discussing and deciding on tomorrow, just so you know, is a proposal to uh, move our 8 o'clock congregation to 9 o'clock, add some hymns, and then present uh, a really good more traditional, shorter alternative to the 10.30 service. Because we're aware that that demand is there, and actually then we'd have a real choice for everyone who comes in the morning. So whether or not that goes ahead, we'll also be looking at other ways in which we can increase the choice that people have that better reflect their own preferences and better reflect the lifestyles that people live. So for example, we'll be looking at having a more regular weekly early evening service that could run children's work for older children and youth work alongside it and can really tap into that niche that's a very real thing these days where families do things on Sunday mornings like sport or children's parties and they want to come to church at the end of the afternoon. We did it at St. Saviour's and literally the number of families doubled overnight. There's definitely a niche there. We can look at that. We can look at things like Messy Church during the week, again, which has taken off all over the country at Claygate, where I was. We started that um, once a month um, at about 4 o'clock, I think it was, after school, um, using the whole church like this. And I think three months later, they had 200 people coming. It's really taken off all over the country. These are things that we can consider doing as well. I shared at the APCM that we've been invited to by the Bishop of Guildford to plant a church, actually, in Deep Cut, where the army are going to move out in a few years' time. There's going to be a whole new village built there. We've been asked to be the lead church in sending a group of people. They would give us an associate minister here for 18 months, and then we would go and plant there. A great opportunity for us, and a vital thing that we can do for the kingdom in the broader area. Otherwise, that new village has no church. But just imagine if the new minister there 
together with 30 or 40 people from here and some from other churches, is able to welcome every new person that moves into a new house in that new village. What a wonderful thing that would be. What a positive vibe that would create for coming to church and being part of the church community for everyone who moves into that place. So, there's a lot of exciting things to come. In our sermon series, I don't tend to plan too far ahead and we want to listen to God and be responsive to that. But next few weeks, or until the end of the school term, what we're going to be focusing on from next week is spiritual gifts really looking at how we can grow in our use of them to do that much more widely across the church, which I think will bring a real excitement and energy, not just to our services, but also to our life groups as well. And I think it's vital that we are using the full potential of the body. We've all been gifted, and that's something we'll start exploring next week. Beyond that, I hope and expect that we'll spend some time looking at our values As a church, we'll spend some time really getting deeper into the Bible. I'd love us to do one of the New Testament letters one term and really get into that, and I've got some ideas about that. But what what I most want us to be doing is listening to God and the direction that he's prompting us in, in terms of what we're to think about, what we're to do, what we're to pray into. And that's not just something that I need to discern. It's something that we all need to discern. And I really, really believe strongly that we all have gifts We all have the ability to listen to God. And I encourage all of you, if you have anything that you feel God is saying to you, please come and communicate it, just as people have been over the last year, the whole of the interregnum, if not before. And um, let me put it like this, as we come back to that passage that we began with. Now, we could carry on just doing the same things we've always been doing in the same way, just as those first fishermen could have just carried on fishing without any input from Jesus at all. It wasn't going very well, but they could easily have done it. And yet, if we listen to the voice of Jesus, if we are looking for him to say new things, to challenge us, to prompt us, to do unexpected things, to shake things up a little bit, to lead us to new places, well, then the real fruitfulness, that huge catch of people can come. And that is what he wants for us too. Now, someone shared with me a prophetic word on Friday that was actually old. It was about a year ago, given well before I was appointed here. And it was for St. Paul's. And the gist of it was that St. Paul's is a sailing boat that needs to put up its sails because God is about to move us to new places, new exciting places, powered by his strength through the Holy Spirit, not through our own. And to be honest, there's been a whole load of other prophetic words over that period of time that have come, all saying a very similar thing, whether about St. Paul specifically, or some cases more broadly about the UK, something the Archbishop of Canterbury firmly believes and has picked up himself. Everyone's conclusion who's heard this stuff is that there's been far too many of them for it to be a coincidence. God seems to be raising our expectations and our faith ready for an exciting new journey and a new time of growth. And for many people, many new people, coming into his kingdom and being part of what he's doing here, specifically at St. Paul's. And what does the passage tell us about that? That even if we feel like we've been fishing all night, just like those fishermen felt, exhausted, demoralized, not catching anything, We need to be ready to go out again. 
We need to be ready to listen to his voice and to step out in faith the moment he speaks. Stepping out into things that are hard, like getting, building new friendships with people outside the church, inviting them to Alpha, inviting them to Christmas services, sharing our testimony, answering their difficult questions, giving financially too to resource what we want to do missionally as a church. And it also involves actually saying, whatever gifts I do have, I want to use them for your glory. And just a little seed I want to sow for those who feel they might have emerging leadership gifts. I'll say more about this next week, but we're running a course called Growing Leaders from September. And it's really for anyone who feels they may have leadership gifts, who wants to see them developed and their full potential fulfilled. It's going to be a great course. I've run it before. Uh, We've got a good team of four of us doing it. There's an introductory evening on the 13th of July. Look in your new sheets. If you're in any way interested in this, come along on the 13th and you'll find out much more about it. It's a really exciting opportunity to invest in the leadership gifts emerging or already existing here at St. Paul's. But let's now finish then by coming back to our main focus today, replacing our chairs. Here's a slide which just uh, talks us through what we could do. Now it says there, the anticipated overall cost is in the region of £40,000 because each new chair does cost £90 to £120 if we're going to go for a level of comfort that we um, are already used to here. And so they are quite expensive. But actually, if we all bought a few, or if some of us just bought one or even a leg, as it says there, and those of us who can bought some for us, our family, and some of those friends or new people that we hope to bring into the church, and if a few of us bought a few rows... We could do it. It's, a ch- it's challenging but achievable. Kate and I are up for it. What about you? Now, I should say, just uh, uh, just let you know, you can't actually have your names on the chairs, okay? <laughs> and you don't get exclusive use over them. <laughs> and they have to all be the same colour, okay? You can't... <laughs> but uh, you get the picture. If we all got stuck into this, we could do it. And wouldn't it be great to do it? Just think about the fresh look we could have in here and across the whole church centre and what that would communicate symbolically to those new people who are coming along trying us out. So, how can you give? Well, here's a final side that just helps us with that. There's nothing revolutionary about this. You can do bank transfer, you can do checks, you can do cash. Um, it says there just uh, what you need to do. If you've done a gift aid before, before you, never, you don't need to do another one. And you can put things in the safe area, in the, in the welcome area, the safe box, or in the office letterbox. Or, of course, you can bring it in during the week. And uh, I'm not expecting people to do something today, but you'll be delighted if you do. But you've got the next week, you've got the week after that. Would you please pray into, is this something that God's calling you to? And just reflect as you do on what our motivation to give is. And I would suggest two two things. One, that Jesus has given everything for us. And through him, we have received everything we truly need. The other passage we heard read, Uh, reminded us of that as Paul talked about the the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, for whose sake I have lost all things. And it's because also we want to see St. Paul's fulfilling its potential. We want to be part of a growing church, and we want to do our bit, investing in what God is doing, what he is wanting to do here in this place. So we're going to take a little bit of silence now, time of silence, 
And um, we're just going to use that opportunity just to begin praying. God, what are you calling me, you as a family, as a couple? What, are you, what is God calling you to, to do? And then uh, Claire will come up and, and tell us what's going to happen next. So let's take this opportunity now just for a few minutes just to pray and reflect together. The scriptures say that all things come from God and simply of his own do we give him. It says it there. Of your own, Lord, do we give you. So, Father, whatever you've been saying to each one of us here now as we've listened and 